And again, it is a blessing for us to be able to be with you this morning to worship the Lord together. And so um, we want to start, as she said, with some time of prayer. Uh, we have the two prayer requests. One, Job, who is getting the feeding tube tomorrow, right? And then Miss Tiffany, who is dealing with cancer, pancreatic cancer. And uh, we know that we worship and serve the God of the universe. We're going to talk about that uh, this morning. He is the Lord of all creation. So he created these people. He created us. He knows how we go together. He holds us together by the power of his word. And he can heal. And the only healing that, that comes is from God. God is the only one who can heal. And so we can pray in faith this morning and believing that he can heal anything and anyone according to his will. And so that's what we want to do this morning to spend time praying for these ones. And then we are going to attempt to sing. I'm going to attempt to sing. You guys do a great job. Uh, and then we'll look in God's word this morning in Colossians. So let's start this morning with prayer, and then we'll sing. Father, we thank you for, again, the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Lord, we would be foolish to not know and not believe that we come into this place this morning with different types of stress and anxiety. Um, I don't want to say baggage, but we come with heavy hearts sometimes, carrying loads that we really aren't meant to carry. And we want to come now before your throne of grace and lay those things down before you, Lord, and to have the freedom to worship you unencumbered by the cares um, that the cares of the world, the cares that, that uh, stress us out and, and cause us suffering, Lord. And we want to, especially this morning, to offer up a prayer for two individuals. Uh, one, we pray for baby Job that you would uh, work in his life and work in the processes that happen, I guess, tomorrow Tomorrow, as he has his feeding tube inserted. Um, we ask that you be with the doctors and the nurses, that you give them wisdom and guide their hands and their actions, Lord. And we pray that your um, just grace and mercy would be with the Thorntons and with the parents of, uh, of baby Job, Lord, that you would just... Uh, be in and amongst them, answer prayer, be faithful to your people, Lord, to take care of him and to bring him through this procedure, Lord. And we pray for Miss Tiffany, Lord, um, that you would be real to her and her suffering and her uh, walk through this valley, Lord, that you would be true to your word, Lord, that you would lead her by green pastures and renew her spirit, Lord, and encourage her heart, Lord, in, in and through this. And we do pray for healing, God, that you would be uh, true to who you are, the God and King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who created her in her mother's womb, who knows every inch of her, and who is in control. And in the midst of suffering, we know, God, that you are our portion, that you are good, that you are in control and you will bring us through this and we pray for healing uh, for her for her pancreas lord that you would get every uh, molecule of cancer and heal her body lord and we ask that you would help us uh now that you would quiet our spirits and get our hearts and our minds uh, focused in 
on who you are, on worshiping you, on honoring you in, in this time of worship. Lord, we thank you that you brought us here this morning to worship you, the King of Kings, Lord. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, if you have your hymn book, you can turn to 380. Worship through reading God's word and preaching. Psalm 47. Psalm 47 says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations, God sits on the holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather, and the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God, he is highly exalted. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to you saying that we want to worship you for who you are. Lord, we want to come before you because of who you are and what you've done and, and because you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified and rejoice and that it would be a sweet-smelling aroma in your nostrils as we offer up this sacrifice of praise to you this morning. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So two more hymns first, hymn 224, hymn 224. have your Bibles you can turn to Colossians chapter 1 we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20 this morning before we look in this these verses let's pray one more time that God would meet us here in his word father we thank you again for the opportunity to have been in this place this morning to uh, sing these songs we pray that you would be um, Lord pleased with with our sacrifice of praise this morning and we thank you for the opportunity we have now to go into your word to open your word which is life to us which is life and peace to our hearts and our minds Lord and we ask that you meet us here that your spirit would be um, in charge that your spirit would be moving, filling our hearts and our minds and applying this word, making this word make sense to us and helping it to further our sanctification. Lord, we ask that you would be at work in us and through us in this time in your word. Thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. Thank you for being a God who has revealed himself to us through his word. And we thank you for this. And we ask that you would meet us now. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So you may be aware this morning that this is the first Sunday of Advent. 
And so we already begin the Christmas season. Where has this year gone, right? It seems it's to, to have flown by like every year does. What you, you may not have under, understood when you were singing What Child Is This is that you were actually part of my sermon, that you were part of my, my uh, uh, introduction this morning. One of the, my favorite parts of Christmas, of course, is the, the music. I love music. I love all kinds of music. But when we get to this time of year, Christmas, and we start thinking about Jesus and him coming incarnate, taking on flesh, and, and, and we celebrate Christmas, it can become commercialized, of course. But, but I love all types of Christmas music. I even love the, the secular Christmas music. But my favorite type of Christmas music, of course, is the Christmas carols. And, and one of my most favorite is What Child Is This? And I want this morning to try to take Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, and answer for you one question. What child is this? Who is this child in the manger? Who is this baby that was born of a virgin that lies in the manger? Who is he? I want to answer that question that that Carol asked this morning. What child is this? I find it interesting to think about William Chatterton Dix, the Englishman who wrote this, this song, What Child Is This, back in 1865. Um, this song, What Child Is This, is actually three verses from a, from a larger song, a larger work that he'd done called The Manger Throne. And, and Mr. Dix wrote this, uh, this Manger Throne song from which we get three verses from that make up What Child Is This. He wrote this in the midst of a tragedy, I guess you can say, and suffering in his life. He had just gone through uh, an illness in his life, a near-fatal illness. He was in the midst of much suffering, and he had fallen into a deep depression. And out of that experience, he began to write many different types of hymns. At the age of 29, he did this. And he wrote, What Child Is This?, and so for us this morning, I want us to think about this. Who is this baby in the manger? And I want it to inflame us this Christmas season. So as we think about we're starting Advent season, we're starting that time of year that we begin to count the time down, to count the days down to the coming of our King, Jesus, in the manger. And I can't think of a better way to begin that Christmas season than answering this question, who is this Jesus? What child is this? Who is this baby in a manger that has come? And we see the answer in Colossians chapter 1, or we see at what I think can be a very fitting answer. Okay, So we read this passage in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15, going through verse 20. Five verses, it says this. What, what child is this? He says, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him 
all the fullness of God has dwelled, has was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You know, as as I read this text, as I read Colossians 1, 15 through 20, I find it to be a very fitting answer for us this morning. If we ask the question, what child is this? Who is this Jesus in the manger? Um, it's very fitting because if we think about the context into which Paul was writing, right? So Paul had planted a church in Colossae. He had left. And and at his departure, there were those who had begun to uh, spread heresy in and, in and amidst and amongst the people of the church at Colossae. So Paul was writing back to this church to refute this heresy. Um, the heresy was that Christ was not enough, that you needed to add things to Christ, that it, that he was not the fullness, that he was not all that was needed for Christianity, for our faith, that he was not good enough, that maybe you needed to add good works to your faith and hope to be saved. And so Paul wrote this letter back to explain to this church, to clarify, to reiterate that Christ is enough, that he is supreme, that he is sufficient, and that he is all that we need to be reconciled back in our relationship to God. And so I feel like this serves as a fitting and appropriate response to the question, who is this Jesus? Who is this child in the manger? And I want us this be very clear that my goal this morning is to help us to understand at the very beginning of this Advent season who Jesus is, all of his sufficiency and preeminence and his supremacy in all things, and that to uh, inflame and embolden us this Christmas season to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so there's four things this morning that I see in this text. As we seek to answer this question, what child is this? Who is this Jesus? First, we see in verses 15 through 17 that this child, Jesus the Christ, is the Lord of creation. Let me read that to you again, beginning in verse 15, going to verse 17. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. You know, a lot of uh, preaching is just um, setting forth imperatives, just setting forth truths. These are things that are true about Jesus. And sometimes I think, does that matter to people? Do they care? And I think, of course, that these imperatives, these truths about who Jesus are, when I hear them, and I know when you hear them, they just fill me with joy and excitement. And they just make me on the inside um, just to be inflamed for love for Jesus. And when I think about um, what we see here in this text this morning, I see three things, okay? This Jesus that we worship, this baby in a manger, if you think of it in that way, first, the, he is God. Jesus is God. I'm going to let that resonate with you this morning. In verse 15, the very 
first part, he makes this very important statement. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. So Paul here is stressing as a whole in these verses the supremacy of Christ over all creation. And he does it in verse 15a, the very first part of verse 15, by stressing that he is supreme over all creation because he is the God of all creation. He is God. He is the very picture of the invisible God. This Greek word for image, this is very important or very interesting to me. Uh, you know, for instance, we went to a movie last night, and on the screen there were some lo logos. There's like a Twitter logo and a Facebook logo and all these different logos on the screen. And Laura asked me, and I thought about this when she asked me, she said, what does that last icon mean? And it was YouTube. It was, the, it was for YouTube, right? But we think about this word icon, right? It's the Greek word. We get that word icon from the word akon, which is image. When he says he is the image, it says he is the akon, the icon, where we get that word from. And it means the exact likeness, to it the perfect copy, the exact image and likeness of God is who Jesus is. He is the very form of God and has been so from all eternity. So Paul is saying that Jesus is both the representation and the manifestation of God on earth. He is fully God in every way. We find later on that Paul will say in Colossians 2, 9, it says, For in Jesus, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So let's think about, because we'll talk about Colossians 2, 9 again in a minute. Here we stress this, the bodily, God in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. He is God. And this is central to Paul's proclamation in this text in Colossians 1. This is central to his message because if Jesus is not God, then we have no hope of salvation. And yet we know that he is God. And we do have hope that we can put our faith in this Jesus because he is God. You know, it's interesting to think about this. That in the early church, it was three centuries Think about this. It was three centuries before a heresy arose in the church that questioned the deity of Jesus. Three centuries, over 300 years. And we think about the Arians who came along and taught that Jesus was the first and greatest creation of God. And, of course, this heresy uh, was condemned in 325 at the Council of Nicaea. But the early church was so convinced of Jesus' deity that what they questioned sometimes was his humanness. They questioned sometimes whether he was really human. That's how much they affirmed his deity, that Jesus is God. That's who that, ba that baby in the manger is. And they didn't question his deity in the, the early church because they were with Jesus. They were with him. They walked with him. They were taught by him. When Jesus claimed to be divine. He demonstrated his divinity in his teaching, and how he teach, and how he teaches, you can think about how many times that he said something, and people were like, "Yeah, that had to be God. That had to come from God." 
You think about how many times he performed miracles that proves his deity. And you think about his resurrection, his ascension, all of these things culminate for us. It culminated for those early Christians that, were, that saw Jesus and walked with him were convinced beyond a doubt. So much so that it took them dying and going away 300 years later before it was even a question of whether he was divine that, that arose. And so this first thing is we think, who is this Jesus? Who is this child in the manger? What child is this? He is God. Secondly, we see in uh, verse 15 and 16 that he is Jesus, Lord of all creation. It says he's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. So there's a couple of phrases that we need to look at there. First off, it says that he was the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean to us? When we think firstborn, we think, well, he was uh, a creation, but he was the first creation that was created. And that is not at all what this means. Let's think about this. Firstborn of all creation means that he is preeminent and ranks above all others. He is preeminent and above and ranks before and above all others. So let's think in Jewish culture, the firstborn was the ranking son who received the right of inheritance from his father. So what Paul is telling us is he is firstborn in the sense that he was preeminent and he possesses the right of inheritance over all creation, that he exists before and ranks above all others. The text tells us there that he is the Lord of creation because he made all creation. So he's first born, born in preeminence and rank. First John, or, or actually John chapter 1 verse 3, you will remember, says all things were made through Jesus and without him was not anything that was made. And so Paul uses this idea of all things to stress that there is nothing that Jesus did not create. It's interesting to think about that baby in a manger, that baby who took on flesh, God in flesh, is the one who created all things. He created you and me. And as we'll see in a minute, he holds all of us together. This is all, of course, makes sense for us or makes more sense for us in relation to our context that that Paul was teaching here uh, and, and writing back to this church because of the heresy that was going around that that matter uh, that that a divide between matter and the spiritual world existed and that these people were teaching that the things that were made that matter didn't matter that it was bad that it was not good and Paul is saying no all of creation is good why is it good because Jesus was the one who created it he created it good and it exists to bring him glory. And so we can look at each other this morning and say, you exist as one of God's creations to bring God glory. And everything around us that we see exists for this baby. What child is this? This baby lying in a manger created all things and created it for good and for his glory. The third thing we see, this child, Jesus, this baby in a manger, holds it all together last verse 17 it says he is before all things and in him all things hold 
together. And it is very, very intriguing to think about Jesus is the one who holds the universe together. It all coheres together. It all sticks together. You are all of these different types of molecules formed together, and God is in this very moment holding you together. That's who that baby is in the manger. He is the one holding you together. He holds it all together. And scientists may search for the binding force of energy throughout the all of universe, and Paul tells us that it is this child in the manger that is holding it all together. I've recently seen this story about a French mathematician. His name was Lagamp de Noy. And he said some things, and we'll talk about them. It says that he examined the laws of possibility. Okay, what is, what is the law of possibility? How possible is it that a single molecule can be formed by chance? So yeah, I guess there are people in this world that do that for a living. They crunch the numbers, and he crunched the numbers, and he said, what is the possibility that a single molecule may be formed by chance? And he said that it it ended up being 200, or it ended up being 10 to the 253rd power that a single molecule may be formed by chance. So, in other words, it would take billions and billions of years for one molecule to be formed by chance. And he said this, let us admit that no matter how small the chance it could happen, one molecule could be created by such astronomical odds of chance. However, one molecule is of no use. Hundreds of millions of identical ones are necessary. Thus, we must admit the miracle or doubt the absolute truth of science. Paul tells us something different, doesn't he? In first in first Corinthians, I mean in Colossians 1 17. He says that it is Jesus who has created every single molecule. He is the one that holds every single one of them together. That is who this Jesus is. And so this Christmas, I hope that we will look at this baby in the manger and we will go through this Advent season and see that he is the incarnation of the God of the universe, that he is preeminent over all creation, that he is holding it, it all together, and it will inflame and help us to worship Jesus this Advent season. I'm going to speed up. A couple more things. Second, we see what child is this. This child, verse 18, it tells us that he is the head of the church. Colossians 1.18, it says that he is the head of of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so this child, Jesus, is the authority in the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the only one who died for the church to redeem her. We think about others who may come along and try to claim some type of headship or authority in the church. We know that is blasphemy against Jesus himself, that he died for the church. He gathered her in together. He is the only authority. But not only that, he is the source of life for his church. We must stay rooted in Jesus as our source of life. And so we see that it says he is the firstborn from the dead in verse 18. 
he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So when we think about not only is he the firstborn of creation, he's the firstborn of the dead. He was the first to be resurrected. He is, this refers to Jesus' defeating death and being resurrected. And this resurrection of Christ and him defeating death is our very ground of hope for us as Christians. This is why we have hope, because he was the firstborn from the dead. This is important because we can go from death, uh, spiritual death, alienation from God, to life because he did so first. He resurrected first, so he brings about our spiritual resurrection as we put our faith in him. And so I think an implication for us is that we have to stay rooted in Christ. Inside the church, he is the head of the church. He died for it. He's the authority, but he's also the source of life of the church. We must stay rooted in him. I'm reminded of John 15, of course. In verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And then in verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch us the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine in Jesus so neither can you unless you abide in me so what child is this this child Jesus the Christ the head of the church he's the authority in the church he died for the church and he remains the source of life for his people his church as we abide in him we know Mark Twain he is known for his wit. And there is a story that Mark Twain was uh, in a, let's say, a heated discussion with someone one time who was Mormon. And this discussion was over polygamy and if polygamy was right. And they went back and forth and to the point where this Mormon guy finally said, listen, cite for me any passage of scripture that you can find that expressly forbids polygamy. And Twain said, that's easy. No one can serve two masters. Okay, you got it. It's a joke, right? But I say that to say this, that there is only one master in the church. You can't have more than one head. And the only master, the only head of his church that is appropriate is Jesus himself. He is the one who died for the church. So my question is, will you worship Jesus this Christmas season? Because he has given his life for you and for the church, and he has resurrected and he reigns as the only source of life for us and for the church. Will you worship him this Christmas? So we ask, what child is this? He is Jesus, the head of his church. Third, we see we think about this what child is this in verse 19 Paul tells us that this Jesus he is the fullness of God verse 19 it says for in him in Jesus listen all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell so this child Jesus this baby in the manger what child is this this is Jesus he is sufficient 
first for our redemption. And then we think about he is the child who is the fullness of God. And so first we think about our context and what Paul was writing into. And Paul here is arguing that we don't need Christ plus anything. It's not Christ plus something else. It is Christ because all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in this Jesus. It's not Jesus plus something because all of the fullness dwells in him. And so we think about this reason why Paul was writing this. It was writing this because of our context, because he was writing back to this church. He was dealing with this heresy. And he was saying that he is the fullness of God as a rebuttal to this false teaching. It said that maybe there could be more fullness obtained through some kind of mystic ritual, that God was not enough, you needed to add, or that Jesus was not enough, you need to add something to him. And Paul is saying there is no more fullness than the fullness that is found in Jesus. He is the fullness of God. Remember we said Colossians 2, 9, for in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so Paul says fullness because first Christ is fully divine. We said that, that he is God. And so this Colossian heresy said that there were maybe some attributes of God that were divided maybe amongst other emanations. And Paul is saying, no, all of the attributes of God dwell in this Jesus. That baby in the manger is God. And then he also says this because Jesus would ultimately receive honor and glory as a reward fulfilling for fulfilling his responsibility as the mediator of the new covenant. So we think about this, that that baby in the manger is setting out uh, and beginning that process of finally, after thousands of years, fulfilling the covenant, the new covenant, that covenant of grace. We think about covenant theology. I think I said that last time I come. You can think about all the covenants throughout Old Testament, the Old Testament, and it comes to the Davidic covenant. And here's David. He's telling David, you'll have a man on the throne throughout all generations. And finally, we see the culmination. That is not a nationalistic covenant. It's a spiritual covenant that, that God was making. And it, in the new covenant, we see finally that Jesus has come to fulfill and be the Savior and the mediator of that new covenant. And so we see that Paul is saying this is the, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in him and to give Jesus the fullness of the honor and the reward and the glory because He was because God was pleased beyond measure with the perfection of the sacrifice and the obedience of Christ and fulfilling and being the mediator of that new covenant. And so we ask that question, what child is this? This is Jesus, the Christ, the fullness of God, the final uh, piece to the puzzle is, is seen in Jesus as the mediator of that new covenant. And so we ask this question, will you join with me this Christmas season? And will you worship Jesus this Christmas season because he is the fullness of God? And that all of the essence and attributes of God reside in this Jesus, in this baby in the manger. He is sufficient for your salvation. He has earned the right to be worshipped. 
because he laid in the manger as the mediator of that new covenant. So will you worship him this Christmas? One last thing as we think about what child is this. You see in verse 20, this child Jesus is the reconciler of all things. He is the reconciler of all things. In verse 20 it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And listen to this. We talk about peace on earth, goodwill to men, Jesus making peace by the blood of his cross. And so we see here this idea, right? This Greek word that we have for reconcile means to change or to exchange. And what we, why that is important? Because it signifies that a sinner can change in their relationship with God. Jesus, as the reconciler of all things, the one who come in the manger, who lays in the manger, he came to make peace by the blood of his cross. That's so significant for us. And that's really the heart of Christmas for us, the heart of what fuels our worship in the Advent season, in the Christmas season, is that this Jesus is the one who come to die on that cross and to reconcile us back to God, to restore us back into a right relationship with him through the blood of his cross. And so Paul, for us right now, is so important to see. He is pointing us and wants us to see this, the sufficiency of the work of Christ this Christmas. The work of Jesus on that cross was sufficient to reconcile us back to the Father. Even though we are sinful, even though we bring baggage, even though you come up with reasons in your head why this shouldn't be so, it is. Jesus died on that cross to reconcile us back to the Father. And so while our sin may have destroyed that relationship between us and God, Christ makes peace and he restores that fellowship. And he, and he really just solves that chief problem of man of being alienated from God through the work that he did on the cross. And he does this and he begins this by being that baby born of a virgin, being that child in the manger. And that begins that process for us. And so we think, we have sought, hopefully you feel this way, to find a really good answer for us this Christmas season, this beginning of Advent season, to answer that question, what child is this? To really inflame our hearts to worship him this Christmas season. And the answer that we have found is that this Jesus, he is God. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. He is Jesus, the Lord of all creation, holding it all together, the head of the church, the one who died for us and died for the church and rules and is the source of life for the church. He is the fullness of God and the reconciler of all things through his shedding of blood on the cross. And so I remind you, last of all, what you sang this morning. As the song says, what child is this who laid a rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King. Christ the King who shepherds guard and angels sing. 
haste, haste to bring him long, the babe, the son of Mary. So will you this morning, and will you throughout this Advent season, see Christ the King, the baby in the manger, and join with the host of heaven this Christmas in haste to bring him worship, haste to bring him long. Let's pray. Father, we have sought this morning to look into your word and to find an answer to that old carol, what child is this? And when we look in Colossians chapter 1, we see these things about you that just inflame our hearts to love you and to worship you. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for coming for being the mediator of that new covenant, for being God, for being the one who is the source and life of the church, for dying for us, for reconciling us back to the Father. And God, we ask that this would inflame and embolden and help our worship of you this Christmas season, that we may have things going on in our life. We may be going through suffering. We may be going through different things. We may be seeing other people suffer. We may not have all the material things that we want, but we can look to Jesus this Christmas. We can focus on him. and We can be joyful knowing that we have been reconciled back to God because of this baby in the manger. Lord, we ask as we leave this place, you would keep us safe and protected, and you would help us to just have a great afternoon. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.